G'day, I'm Troy. And I'm Brian. And we're the hosts of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, an evangelical podcast. We used to be loyal members and leaders in Australian Christian megachurches, but we're not anymore. I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist is an honest and hilarious peek behind the curtain at the weird, the worrying, and sometimes traumatic world of evangelicals and Pentecostals. We share our stories, we interview prominent guests in the global exvangelical space and provide a platform for others to tell their stories about their time in evangelicalism and their journey out. Shortlisted at the recent Australian Podcast Awards, I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist gives you a unique global perspective into one of the fastest growing religions in the world from the people who actually lived it. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and IWasAteenageFundamentalist.com. Episode 103, Matthew chats with Stephen from Ravel Podcast. This is Matthew, and in this episode of Still Unbelievable, I chat with Stephen from Ravel Podcast. Ravel is a podcast I enjoy listening to, and Stephen admitted on a recent episode that he no longer considers himself Christian. So naturally, I wanted to have a conversation with him. As it turns out, we had a fabulous one. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Still Unbelievable. This time it's Matthew solo in the seat. It's a Friday evening here in the UK which means it's peak boating weekend which probably means that Andrew won't be available but we shall find out if he pops in. He pops in. If not well it's his loss. Today I have a guest with me. He's a guest whose voice I've become relatively familiar with over the last few months as I discovered the podcast Ravel or Ravel Pod as in they seem to be known on some of their social media. It's a podcast I recommend. Link will obviously be in the show notes. Do check that out if you want to hear Christians being reasonable and agreeable to each other and about others, which is often a rare thing, certainly in the circles that uh, Andrew and I tend to mix. So Stephen, Stephen Henning from Ravel Pod. Welcome on to Still Unbelievable. Thank you so much for responding positively to my invitation to appear on to Still Unbelievable. But before the guests hear your voice, one very, very, very important question. What are you drinking? Oh, thank you so much for honoring the tradition. I find it so delightful. Today, I am, I feel like very classic American uh, here in your space, and I'm drinking a freshly opened Coca-Cola. Uh, I'm not usually a soda drinker, but it was in the fridge and it sounded delicious right now. So I am sipping on a Coca-Cola today. Wow, what a, a cup of tea with your finger in the air, given the the custom the, the presence that you're in. Not quite, yeah, not quite. <laughs> not not quite. We're not good enough friends for that one yet. Well, I'm drinking a pink gin with uh, uh, with some. I was going to say lemonade. My wife is drinking it with lemonade. I'm drinking it the proper way with tonic and a slice of cucumber. The ice cube has long since melted, but that is what I am enjoying today. And a backup glass of water because you know talking and all that. Talking, of course, as podcasters, it's a tool of the trade. Really, is a bottle of water. Uh, absolutely on, on the desk of course yeah, yeah ab- absolutely and when you get to my age a, a necessary visit before the recording starts proper uh yeah absolutely right so Stephen, so you've been podcasting over Ravapod 
Before we get into the podcast and why I've invited you on to Still Unbelievable, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. What do you do when you're not podcasting? Where are you in the United States? Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, it's, it's a delight to be here, Matthew. I just recently got familiar with your show after you reached out. I've uh, devoured quite a handful of episodes, most recently the Justin Brierley episode. Um, mm-hmm. I have a background listening to Unbelievable, which is, as you put it in, in that one, uh, two-thirds of your namesake. Yes, uh, absolutely. I love, the, I love the way you guys take that and yes and it a little bit. Yeah, so I hail from the western side of the United States. I'm here in Montana. Uh, where I'm podcasting from you. It's evening in the UK, as I understand it. Uh, it's, it's about it's about high noon for me, dead of summer, which means, well, it's Fahrenheit, but it's about 90 degrees outside for me. Yes, um, now that's a number that makes no sense to British ears whatsoever. Correct. Yeah, and I tried, to be honest with you, I frantically tried to do the conversion in my head, but as an American, I'm kind of uneducated on some of the ways other people yeah. in the world do it. 90 so. degrees is cup of coffee temperature. Yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah. about right, yeah. yeah. Whereas I think 200 for a cup of coffee, or at least for brewing temp, so yes. uh, <laughs> that's kind of beside the point. Yeah, so I'm here in Montana. I live here with my wife and a pair of dogs that we love spending time in the great outdoors. Uh, we do quite a bit of hiking. you got to take advantage of the Rocky Mountains when you have them, um, as most Americans would tell you if they have a vacation here in my backyard. So, yeah, we're here in Montana. I started my podcasting journey, boy, it was, it's a bit of a, a stamp of pride for myself because I actually started podcasting as an interest before the uh, the global pandemic that hit us early 2020. So I was already getting into it in 2019. So I can proudly say that it's not quite a pandemic-influenced hobby when I had a ton of time on my hands <laughs> through <laughs> lockdowns and whatnot, but that certainly helped fuel the passion for it. And uh, and really helped uh, Ravel take off in its own right. So, yeah, what else would you like to know? Let's start with uh, your history then. What is your background, your relationship to Christianity? Because obviously you're oh, here yeah. because of a conversation about Christianity. Of course. And it will be interesting to compare your background with Christianity to my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I grew up in a... Uh, a white evangelical family, for as many as those words can become slurs, especially around American Christianity nowadays. Um, my family truly, like I would like to say, is the best version of what that can represent. I uh, grew up in a, a stable household with my family pretty much uh, since the cradle, been going to church, attending church. Um, I really don't remember a moment that I was not Christian as a child and then mm-hmm. became one. It's yep. just kind of the, the, the tea I was steeped in, if you will. Yes. Um, I understand that. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's how I grew up um, through Sunday school. And uh, we have a program here called AWANA, uh, which is an acronym that stands for approved workmen are not ashamed. It's a little bit of a Timothy quote uh, right. from the new Testament, but um, that's kind of a program for like elementary and middle school kids to be involved in essentially scripture memorization and uh, that we build little competitions out of it, too. So you can you can win little little prizes. But really, the idea is um, or at least the way it was pitched was this is how we get scripture like downloaded into the mm-hmm. young Christian's heart. Right. Uh, through the memorization to this day, I truthfully 
cannot tell you anything I ever memorized as a child. <laughs> it didn't quite stick with me. Um, but I, I at least know the illusions and uh, the, the number of Bibles on my bookshelf certainly testify to the fact that I've I've studied this thing for quite a bit of my life. Um, so that's how I grew up. Uh, really started getting involved in um, our youth group scene uh, at our church. Really got connected with a ton of kids. I grew up homeschooled as well. That's uh, some great context. So I grew up with my mom being my primary educator um and usually typically uh american homeschool curriculum can tend to lean pretty christian it's a little bit of a counter countercultural movement to say we we don't want our kids indoctrinated in like the science of the day in the public school system and i'm using air quotes for people yeah. who can't see the call there um yeah so uh growing up homeschooled I had a lot of opportunity to kind of like follow my own interests. Uh, some of those interests were a bit colored, right? The curriculum that can come with homeschool, like as I got really into uh, mathematics as a, as a young one, as a teen, spiraled me into really enjoying the idea of physics and chemistry and biology. But all those curriculums do come with like a creationist worldview attached to it. So mm -hmm. for as much interest as I did have in the sciences, uh, I wasn't quite getting the full picture until I decided um, at my parents' recommendation, actually, they they gave me the choice. Would you like to go to public school for high school? So for basically our grades nine through 12, they gave me the option and I said yes. And regrettably, I have since gone back and apologized to a couple of the teachers I had in my high school setting, uh, especially my biology and chemistry uh, teachers, because I was the student who fashioned himself as a bit of an apologist in his early uh, high school career. So debating the biology teacher on the age of the earth and, well, here's actually the reason why the, the Grand Canyon could be carved in a matter of days instead of over eons as we describe it in, uh, in uh, quote unquote secular science and geology. Um, so quite a bit of, uh, feeling a little scrappy, if you will, um, kind of get, getting under my teacher's skin. And here I thought I was going to be the person who actually introduced them to the right way of seeing the world. Um, because, of course, I knew everything there was to know, and I had all the right answers when I was 14 years old, as we all feel, <laughs> yes, I'm sure. We all, don't we all, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's kind of the energy I entered high school with in the public school setting coming from my homeschool upbringing. Um, but really over those four years, I, I, I was softened to uh, be more open-handed about those kind of things and actually listen to what um, others had to say or other opinions. Um, I grew up through that youth group at our church. I kind of describe the church, it's non-denominational officially, but if you were to just line up say the doctrinal statement of the church it's a baptist church they just didn't want to be aligned or like part of the baptist like convention here in the states so i call them closeted baptist as a little bit of a wink and a nod but really it was calvinist through and through that was like the base of it um my my youth leaders especially in my later years of high school grades 11 and 12 
we would often read more out of John Calvin's Institutes than Scripture sometimes, because as far as they were concerned, it, it really felt like John Calvin could have been the third testament um, <laughs> <laughs> of Scripture. So that's really my background in Christianity, heavy Calvinist, all about predetermination, uh, especially in regards to salvation. And uh, yeah, with whatever degree of hubris comes along with that way of thinking, I, I certainly have that for a good period of my life. Thank you for that. So there's a couple of points in there which I definitely resonate with. Um, my upbringing was in missionary uh, environment in Zambia. And very similar to you, Christianity was what I was born into. It's what I was bathed in every night. So I'm I'm very much familiar with, with, with that part. You know, I knew nothing outside of Christianity through those mm-hmm. formative years of yeah. my life. Uh, and the result was I was taught to fear anybody who didn't profess Christianity. So that was quite a strange thing to learn, knowing that one day I would be stepping out of that safe school environment and into the big bad world. And I would meet these horrible people who would uh, want to insult me and swear at me all the time. And the reality was very different from what I'd been taught to fear. Yeah, there really is quite an energy of... Boy, fear mongering is really a very powerful way of saying it, but there's like this inherent mistrust in what could be offered by other avenues of study. I remember for as many positive lessons as I had of like what could be given to us through the Gospels, through the teachings of Jesus, it always came with a one for one and here's why everyone else is wrong kind of thing. It was a lot more oppositional. It was to set up like, here's the truth and here's the lie that that is shedding light on really that just kind of sets you up to assume everyone's out to get you yeah uh even the world in general even like we we, uh we like to talk about like the powers and principalities of the world is like and whether you believe or not that those are actually supernatural or supernatural forces that are actually pushing those Mm. uh and influencing from beyond our dimension or something like that that's that's a whole nother part of it that certainly comes with uh, certain flavors of Christianity. But that oppositional nature to it, I remember uh, very early on, even when I was in this elementary school phase and participating in this um, Bible memorization Awana program, there were warnings, and we weren't using the term yet, but um, for what we call progressive Christianity now, there were already warnings baked into, and some people and usually they would just outright say like the Methodists or something like that. And some people believe this actually differently. And here's why we're right. And here's still why they're wrong. Or it was a fundamental mistrust of, say, the study of philosophy. I remember being instructed at one point in how even scripture shows how, let's say, Aristotle or Plato uh, were not to be trusted And if there was any bit of nugget of truth embedded in what these philosophers, these Greeks had to say, we could always find just the right verse to say, and see, this is why God said it before the philosophers were led there. And they're just kind of grasping in the dark. And maybe they get a nugget of truth here or there, but we're the ones who see the whole thing for what it really is, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think one thing to pick up, though, on what you've just been saying is the 
differentiation between the US church and the UK church and probably yeah. spreads to the rest of Europe as well is when you guys say Baptist you don't mean what I mean when I say Baptist because my wife and daughter go to a Baptist church here in the UK and they're That's not exposed point. to the level of Christianity that you mean when you talk about Baptists over there. Mm-hmm. I've made this point before, but it's probably worth reminding for people who live in neither the UK or the US that there are different flavours of what we mean by Baptist according to what part of the world you're in. I'm sure everybody knows that, but I think yeah. it, it, it needs retelling as well. Yeah, and to be specific, um, my background isn't even in what uh, we would call like Southern Baptist much more like northern kind of like new england american baptist tradition which is really rooted again in that calvinism there's some puritanism laced within that as well yeah and the other thing that you mentioned was the grand canyon and the grand canyon was an epiphany for me and the the context is it's around about 2003 my wife and i were on our last major big holiday before we became parents and we did a big tour of the United, well, not the whole of the United States, of that end of the United States, you know, mm-hmm. uh, California, Nevada, etc. And I'd wanted to see the Grand Canyon for a very long time. And I loved it. We spent a couple of days around the Grand Canyon. And the context for me spiritually was I had not long previously had one of those battle altercations where I was the argumentative uh, young earth creationist and mm-hmm. but in this case, the context was an online forum with some people that I'd known for about a decade. And they were all very knowledgeable people. Evolution enthusiasts really knew the science quite well of that kind of thing. And I picked a fight with them and I should never have done it. And I came away from it quite bruised and battered as a result with an intention that I would prove them wrong by making sure I knew about this stuff much better than I already did. So I put a lot more effort into reading blogs, listening to science podcasts and increasing my exposure to this kind of thing to find the holes in it. And I was starting to realise that so many of the, uh, the young earth creationist arguments just didn't have much to go on. And that so that was the context in which we were visiting the Grand Canyon and I would stand at various viewpoints of the Grand Canyon literally for an hour just looking at the rock layers imagining in my head different scenarios and my wife would be saying come on we've got more to go more to go I'd say okay no 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 no, wait just here a bit longer please <laughs> no and I'd see all these layers of rock and the erosion pools and the cups in the rock where clearly there'd been an erosion pool and then the water had gone and the little side bits coming in and then you could see a rock fall had happened and it'd been partially eroded and then another rock fall on top of that. and there's so much history you can see in various parts of the Grand Canyon, if you look hard enough and stay there long enough. And quite frankly, to cut a long story short, on the plane back to the UK after that holiday, my creationism had gone. Yeah, wow, wow. And, yeah. and that was that. So the Grand Canyon now has a special love to me because that's where I killed my creationism. It's lying there, burnt in the sun as a smelly carcass, no longer to be revived or revivable. And I'm right. quite happy for that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's shocking that firsthand experience will do that to you. Right. Yes. <laughs> I think that's 
that's a little bit of that inherent mistrust in like philosophy that was embedded in me, especially most recently. I've had so many moments in my life leading up to uh, my recent deconversion from Christianity. I've had so many moments of realizing that at a young age, I was told to be afraid of this or I was told to uh, stay away from it, usually citing something like the slippery slope fallacy. Yes, yes. Um, but having this experience of saying and realizing, is this all we were afraid of? Really? Yeah. Like, this is what we were yeah. taught to, like, think was the boogeyman? I mean, even for whatever warnings we had of, like, the progressive Christians— for Americans that really started coming to a head around the emergent church, Rob Bell is a name that comes up very yeah. often. I was in high school at that time, so I, we would watch YouTube videos of Rob Bell's talks, and we'd play like five minutes at a time, and then we'd spend 10, 15 minutes just saying everything that's wrong about what he just said. And uh, a couple years after that, I returned to... Uh, a couple of Rob Bell's like podcasts or videos. And I just had that realization, like, this is, is this really what we were afraid of? This, <laughs> this guy doesn't yeah. seem all that threatening if I'm honest. And especially in my recent readings of, of philosophers that are new to me, there's, there's a part of me that wonders. Oh, so I, I think there's a legitimate fear and I, I want to almost honor it in a way to say like, yeah, it's, Within Christianity, we have a system that works, and any threat to that system that works um, is, frankly, very psychologically terrifying. Um, like, I, I have a world that I've built up around myself, and if something starts to crumble, that worries me. Uh, some of that, some of us view that as freeing, and where people see the, the cozy brick house falling apart, some of us see prison bars being pushed yeah. over. Yeah. Um, but there's a part of me that wonders, is the teaching that's rooted in a mistrust of, quote unquote, secular philosophy or, uh, uh, quite frankly, other religions, other ways of seeing the world, other ways of thinking, is that fear? There's almost something we don't want to admit embedded in there, which is some of us think that the philosophers might actually be right, but we're not being honest enough with ourselves to acknowledge it. Yeah. And we just have to hold on to the thing we grew up with because we have learned that that's where security comes from. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. There's something deeply rotten in a system that in order to protect itself, it has to teach fear against different ideas. Mm hmm. That, that should be a red flag to us. And yeah, it's, right. It's a shame versus, that I had to leave it to see it. Yeah, yeah. Versus upholding something that uh, a phrase that very often comes up on Ravel is uh, holding up something that is actually life giving about the tradition. Yes. Uh, something that actually gives us the energy or a new way of seeing the world that is actually like what we would all want to see in human flourishing and in uh, climate responsibility and all those, like, where's the life-giving parts? Because I, all I was taught to be afraid of was um, hell, really. Like, yeah. my sinful nature and the eternity I would spend being punished for it if I didn't uh, lock down my spiritual insurance policy. Yeah. 
So let's get on to your podcast then. Because of what I do, what Andrew and I do on Still Unbelievable, you know, we exist to critique Christianity. We exist, to use my own words, to be a thorn in the side of mm-hmm. of Christians. You know, to, I, if, if I make a Christian wince and to question their Christianity, I think, yes, great, job done. I'm that kind of spiky character. Yeah. So I listen to quite a lot of Christian podcasts I won't name and shame them all but I listen to quite a lot of Christian podcasts who I almost entirely disagree with every single time I listen to them and sometimes I think why am I putting myself through this and then I got to yours and I think it was less than a year ago I found Ravel and I've listened to most of your back catalogue I've had to be selective and skip some and yes I don't think I'm going to offend you by saying sometimes the conversation topic that you guys pick, I go, yeah, that one doesn't really tickle me. I, I might give this one 10 minutes and then skip it. But generally, I listen to you. But you guys, and, I'm, and I mean this genuinely, and yes, this is a compliment to you and uh, your co-hosts, which would be yourself, Emily and Tori. No, it's not Tori. It's I can't remember your other co-host. Josh. Josh, yeah. that's it. I knew yep. I knew it was a short short name. I do apologize, <laughs> Josh. That's that's my fault. And um, but I do, I genuinely like listening to you guys. I like the way that you open your podcast. It's great. I like the way that you have embraced a little bit of looseness in your language. But more than anything else, what comes across from you guys is a tenderness and a sensitivity and a willingness to push boundaries and every single time you do that it's in a friendly manner i when i listen to you guys i imagine that you guys are in somebody's front room having a chat after a party everybody's gone and you are the last people left from the party and you're just fixing the world and that's the vibe i get from your podcast listening to it and i love it genuinely i love it Wow, that I'm so grateful for those kind words. I'm beaming over here. Uh, that is absolutely what we intended to do from the beginning. The opening that you kindly gave us an homage to, we always say what we're drinking at the top of yep. the episode. Uh, we try to mix it up uh, a little bit. Shout yeah, out. lots of Lafroig tends to come up, if I remember right. Lafroig Lagavulin is my personal favorite yep. scotch. Uh, so that'll that'll definitely make an appearance occasionally. I actually get to uh, visit the distillery in about nice. a month. I'm going to be in Scotland for uh, a couple weeks on vacation out there. So I'm. That's uh, the wrong I'm, end. That's the wrong end for me. I'm right down in the south. I know. I hear. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. I'll make my way out there that direction for sure. But uh, Scotland is a particular love of my wife's ever since right. she and I met. Yeah, so we're going to make a great holiday out of that in September. But yeah, so on Ravel, we open with a drink because the idea is we, we absolutely want to we create the environment that you just described. We, in our minds, Emily and I grew up going to high school together, and we would often spend a lot of time hanging out in coffee shops in our hometown. Josh used to host an event here in our uh, city that he called Beer Beerlosophy. Uh, where he would host, pick a different brewery in the city, go grab a pint, and nice. it would just be a singular, like he would post on the Facebook group page, today we're discussing whatever you, <laughs> whatever we want to discuss. But it was specifically philosophy-focused and not theology-focused. 
but yeah, that's the energy we're trying to create sitting around a, a pub table with a pint and just saying like, here's where I'm at. Like, Oh, you, you're inspiring different thoughts in me, or I've been curious about this. There's something inherently, I think there's something very disarming about holding a drink and being in conversation, right? There's always the threat. Uh, we have the stereotypes of like throwing water or wine in someone's face when they've offended us. Or something <laughs> like that. There's always a little bit of that, but something about coffee and beer, just inherently there's, there's something about the vibe that takes you the other way. Like we're getting cozy with each other. We're being, uh, we're disarmed really is what yes. is happening. And something that creates a lot of camaraderie around the table as you all sip on different drinks and, and talk about those. So that was absolutely the environment we wanted to create. So I'm so glad to hear that that is accomplished when you listen. We started the podcast coming out of really, it was like the tail end of 2020. So Ravel, while, while my podcasting adventures started before any bit of pandemic was hinted at our lives, Ravel came after. And I had started a podcast called No Normal People, um, where I put parentheses in the words K-N-O-W, no. I would put parentheses around N-O in addition to that for the title of the episode. And the idea was the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. A bit of of a play on words, right? Yeah, I like it. So Josh, my friend, he was the the first guest we ever had on the podcast and then i invited emily on just as she was finishing up her master's in divinity degree at seminary here and uh she went to oh emily forgive me for forgetting the school you went to but it was in chicago um so you and emily knew each other beforehand yeah she and i knew each other from high school we grew up playing percussion in like the pet band in the orchestra together uh, and we had quite a few classes together. So she watched my evolution, pun intended, from being the person fighting the biology teacher to by the end of high school being a lot more open-handed and le- legitimately asking for forgiveness of that same biology teacher right. for being such a punk when I was four years younger. Uh, so she got to watch that evolution happen, uh, e- even through that relationship, being born in school and like playing music together. Uh, there were many moments where she and I would start talking theology in high school, and I was in my place of being very tight-fisted on Calvinism, and like, this is the only one way to see Christianity. Right, she's Methodist, and those were the progressive Christians we were being warned about. So (laughs) in my mind, there was a a legitimacy to my Christianity, and I saw her as a fake, to put it bluntly. Um, but as she finished seminary, I invited her on my interview show, No Normal People, and uh, what was supposed to be a 90-minute call ended up being four hours where there, there was just this massive chunk in the middle where I was talking to her about her experience of going to seminary, and then I was like, hey, while you're here, do you mind if I just pick your brain on some of the questions that have been coming up for me in theology? Because already my my bit of like deconstruction, if you will, we use the term ravel which I can get to in a sec, but um, my my raveling journey through my faith was already starting. So I was curious to say, like, hey, first of all, I'm sorry I doubted your legitimacy. Like, I can now see that Methodists have something valuable to offer to the world. But B, like, I have questions and I want to know your answers. And there was this massive chunk in the middle of that interview that I, I just took out because it wasn't serving what the podcast was supposed to be about. But it really inspired a feeling of, oh, I... 
I could have conversations like this on a regular basis uh, because for as much passion as I had in an earlier time in my life where I would download all the teaching and say like, great, well now I know what's right. uh, That passion turned into asking all sorts of questions about those same teachings. But I think the experience of growing up with Emily through high school and her being able to say that she recognized like a shift in me, uh, there was something about, frankly, there was something about being praised for my attitude shift that felt really nice. And it was like, I, I know of a lot of podcasts. I know of a lot of Christian podcasts myself. And while, uh, while some of them are espousing teachings that I find more life-giving now or that I find um, more agreeable or more acceptable over uh, say like eternal conscious torment in hell for eternity, they can sometimes come across with the same air of uh, pride or pompousness about like, oh, I have the right way now. I, th- I used to think I did. Um, and now I know I do. It's just a different flavor. So like the, the, the attitude that underlies either the fundamentalist, evangelical, Calvinist, and what I would say is like the fundamentalist, progressive Christianity, it's it's that it's that attitude of I know I'm right and we're all going to turn our nose up at you a little bit and say, if you don't agree with me, I think you're wrong and I think you're bad, if I'm being honest about it. Like, I don't think you're a good person if you don't like yeah, completely adhere. I've been in that form of Christianity and it's not helpful. I look back on it, I think, how does this express love? How how does this tell somebody you know that that we're on the same side how how does this help conversations in any way whatsoever and only today i've been reading tweets from christians talking about how progressive christianity is is not christianity is a, is another religion and all that. and i'm seeing that same thing that you you've just mentioned like, how is this helping any form of dialogue you're giving me what i want which is for christianity to self-destruct you're not helping right yeah, if, if you really want to reinforce something life-giving about your tradition, like, we should be building bridges, not burning them, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. So that attitude is really what we wanted to highlight. And Josh has always represented that to me since I met him. Uh, I met him be- going to his beerlosophy events that he would host around our city in our, our little pubs and breweries. So once we finished that interview, just me and Emily, I kind of independently texted them and said, hey, I have been thinking about like theology a lot, and I know you have too, and we've had many a fruitful conversation about it uh, together so far. I'm thinking of starting a podcast where we could basically do Josh's philosophy, but specifically be around Christian theology. I know we all live in different places, so we're going to record remotely, so we should bake something in about the drinks we're having and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they were both total green lights they they were absolutely into the idea the kicker is the the first time we all hopped on a call together to start strategizing like how we were going to record get all the equipment together and actually make a podcast together that was the first time josh and emily ever met really complete i was the only common link they had that doesn't come across (laughs) and we're also very very proud of that uh we have shocked so many people with that revelation it was it's it's such a testament to their attitudes and really i think actually does 
another uh, another plus one to reinforcing the attitude we want to bring. You can have a conversation like this in a curious, open, life-giving way with a complete stranger if yes. you bring the right attitude to it and you bring that open-handedness and that humility to the table with you. I want to amen that, but I can't. Oh, an amen. <laughs> <laughs> we can reclaim I'm not the allowed word, to, though, right? I want to. <laughs> Amen is just the 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 cosmic yes and of it all, yes. right? And saying truly, truly, yeah. Yes, yeah. Or, <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Yeah. Or preach it, if you yeah, will. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. But I have to say it before we move on quickly. Slam it down, however you feel appropriate. You're clearly not a proper Christian podcast because you have a fake female pastor on your podcast. Yeah, it's true. It's true. We embrace that. Emily embraces that. That is something that we have fielded many uh, social media direct messages no, about. No, you haven't. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Um, guys, got... okay, you just hold. Guys, don't be <laughs> like that. Christian, seriously, can yeah. you not hear how awesome their podcast is? Don't be that. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Right. Yeah, I... To be frank, that's another place where my personal spiritual evolution led me, like, uh, growing up in high school, Emily and I knew each other, I visited her church once, she had a female pastor, and that really reinforced me, like, oh, these Methodists don't know what they're doing, because scripture clearly says that a woman should not teach a man. Uh, And it it really is that, like, scripture clearly says that gets weaponized, Mm. uh, bandied about here and there. And then you really start questioning authorship and authenticity and all those kind of things, whatever. But yeah, we we do field quite a few DMs about Emily's pastorship. Um, Emily is the kind of person who lets that fuel her in a way. Uh, She's a person who I like to describe as uh, maliciously kind in the sense of uh, she, (laughs) she will... She will take the criticism. She's heard it a thousand times. She even heard it from fellow classmates when she was in seminary. Um, and, sh- and she'll take that and she'll turn around and continue to be one of the most genuine, kind people you've ever met. She will cook you four casserole dishes worth of food every night if you need it. And that's how she serves her community. That's how she serves her church. She's embedded. She performs weddings. She performs funerals. She's there when babies are born. She's there with the hospice care when people are drawing their last. She serves as the police chaplain in her county and provides ministry to the law enforcement in her local area. She goes to court hearings where she has to hear gruesome details of, of frankly, just legitimate, like violent crimes. Um, and she goes representing something about Christianity that I think, as a non-Christian myself, I will say she represents something about Christianity that deserves to live on and, quite frankly, is probably the best version of it that I've ever seen lived through a single person. Um, and if we can't get beyond someone like that being in a place of leadership, utilizing their voice to make the world more like that, then it's not really worth engaging. 
where we clearly there's a clearly a disconnect where you say we follow the same person we all say or some of us are saying we follow jesus of nazareth and the fruit is borne out and it is broadcasted to the world whether that fruit is rotten or not and you you know i emily certainly doesn't need me to defend her it's not like josh and i on that podcast lend her an air of legitimacy for the sake of stirring the pot uh she is an individual that represents the best of what both josh and i josh is more agnostic leaning than anything else right now but holds on to some some of the christian tradition i have since completely deconverted but there has been never never an instance of emily disinviting us from the table that she so lovingly prepares and boy if you want to discredit that work of pastorship and care because of her gender or her sexual orientation even like there's 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 so many things that we're debating here in america right now her her own church denomination has experienced a fracture um when they were trying to decide if they were going to allow lgbtq family to be pastors because apparently after solving the problem of whether females can be pastors then we still have a problem to solve it's like either either you're for affirming the humanity of someone else and allowing them to be your teacher or you're not yeah and that that says uh, that says so much more about you than it does about emily than it does about me and I will just say for whatever vitriol is thrown at women in leadership, women in pastorship, the fruit really is is the proof in that. You can pay lip service. You can tell me what you believe as much as you want to. You can tell me that you're oriented by love, but if your actions don't reflect that, then I'm, I'm going to choose to bias your actions over your words. Thank you for saying that. I have no problem whatsoever accepting everything that you've just said because I've listened to your podcast and I've heard the kindness that literally comes out of the microphone sorry comes out of the speakers <laughs> when when I'm listening to to you guys so no no problem with that and if I was to ever go back to any form of Christianity it would be the form of Christianity that exudes out of Emily no yes. question about that whatsoever it offends me deeply that people would rather judge what you wear over what you do Mm -hmm. and that attitude that i see so much so loudly gives the impression that that is what christianity stands for and that emily is the minority i don't know about whether that's true or not but that's the impression that i get it is and unfortunately even her denomination her her expression of it is uh, we're experiencing decline in yeah. America right now. And it's that vision, that visibility of divide is what stops people like me seriously reconsidering Christianity. So again, Christians, if you want people like me back in the fold, be Emily. Yes. <laughs> be like Pastor Emily. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's horrifying that I know I, what I said was as a joke and I wasn't quite expecting the seriousness of the response that you would give that you gave. I'm a little bit taken aback, immensely disappointed. 
and I guess having thought about it sadly not very surprised yeah I for for whatever disappointment you feel because Josh and I experienced that quite a bit we're also just so wildly proud of who Emily is and mm. the strength of her character and her virtue. She doesn't need us to defend her. She can. She does that quite well yeah. on her own. Yes, uh, I'm. I'm very sure about that. Yeah. So let's get into the meat and the meat and potatoes about your podcast then. The real reason why I, I've got you on. So as we're talking here in the first week of august the the current live episode of yours which is probably my favorite one so far let me just go and read the title spiritual code switching Mm -hmm. i don't think i've heard that subject matter ever addressed on any of the religious podcasts that i've listened to over the last 10 to 15 years i think you guys must be the first to address that subject and I really enjoyed listening to it thank you guys for doing it and I got to the end of it and I thought why the bloody hell has nobody talked about this before I mean seriously it's so obvious all the issues that you guys raised about you know pretending to be what you're not just to fit in with your families of course it's endemic of course that behavior happens everywhere in probably every single church in each Mm -hmm. of our respective countries why is that not being talked about at all? Yeah, right. Yeah, why don't we name it as such? Yeah, it felt quite uh, a revelation to us all when that. Uh, shout out to one of our community members, Adam. He was actually the one who asked that question because we we often so like once a month we each get to bring our own topic that yeah. the other two co-hosts have no idea what we're about to talk about. It's always fresh. It's always like off the cuff. Hey, I've been thinking about this this week. And then the other two are just forced to go along with it and we all contribute to the conversation. It's not always obvious. I know you frame it that way. And sometimes I think, yeah, they've just contrived that, you know, you guys talk so relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's, it's not it's not always clear that you're thinking on your feet. And I don't always like thinking on my feet. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got fellow podcast David Johnson over at Skeptic Seekers. He's awesome at thinking on his feet. He does really well. I like to be a bit more prepared. <laughs> yeah, right. And for, for whatever we lack in our uh, skills for thinking on our feet, I make up for being the producer and the editor of the show. So truly, the number of times that I personally will take the three of us on a tangent that has nothing to do with what we were just talking about. But my brain, for some reason, made a connection. So I chose us to like... Yep. Juca's hard right. I get to edit those out sometimes and be yeah. like, wow, Stephen, that did not serve the conversation at all. So I just trim it out and we move on. Yeah. <laughs> I I edit all of ours. And yes, the magic that happens when you ed- edit fluff, somebody goes on, they stumble, they um and ah, they go down, and it sounds awful in the recording. Mm-hmm. And then when you spend 20 minutes, you know, on that 30 second segment and it comes <laughs> out and it goes boom fixed it the listeners will never know (laughs) it's the magic i i love that satisfaction of edit but it does suck up a big chunk of your weekend yeah yeah it certainly can but that's that's part of the love of the project for me too i've uh i've been becoming over the last year a bit of a freelancer podcast producer myself so i i get to edit for a couple other shows that i won't name here but like being able to contribute in that way right like i developed that skill for my own podcasts Mm -hmm. 
and I love contributing that way too. Cause I, you know, something about podcasting is very intimate. Mm. Um, like the, the setup can appear like radio broadcast, uh, which is, you know, it, we're still participating in a medium that is very one to many, mm. but there's something about the intimacy of like tucking in the earbud and having that person so close. Like that is what we're trying to create on Ravel. We're trying to create a space where like you feel like you're there with us. And if you want to participate, we have social media, you, you know, you can join our discord community and all that, but yeah, creating that, like that, again, that pub style yeah. gathered around a high top table with a pint in hand. Absolutely. That's always what we want to create. Yeah. So, so, but back to the topic of spiritual code switching, I had a number of epiphanies myself in that episode, and one of those was I I think it's natural and I think it's okay, actually, that we do participate in spiritual code switching for the sake of belonging and for the sake of connection. It's human. It's what we do to be part of a group. Everybody wants to belong, and we do it not just in religiosity, but in, yeah. in everything. Right. Yeah. If you want to talk about football. Oh, Soccer. I, Soccer, however you want to say it. No, when we do football, we don't touch it with our hands because you know what? It's football. It's yes, yes. Here's here's one thing. I know I I claimed Fahrenheit degrees earlier. Here's one thing where I completely agree with you lot. And football absolutely deserves to be what it's called. We need a different name for ours. I very often say American football now, yeah. much to the chagrin of my fellow citizens, because they'll just look yeah. at me like, what are you, it's football, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, but is it though? Like, yeah. our sport's not even as old. We don't even have a yeah, claim on right. the word. The ball's the wrong shape and you carry it. It's not football. <laughs> it's not pretending. It's a special thing in our football when the, when the ball is touched by a foot. I know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, what a digression there. Um, <laughs> yeah, hate mail but, to but, reason but that's the kind of belonging that's, and you know what? I don't care. <laughs> yeah, right. But that's the kind of belonging that's formed, right? Like uh, yeah. that's that's what we do. We do that in religion. We do that around sport. We yeah. do that around education. Um, that's how we form community, and I think that's okay. But to acknowledge that that's happening, I think is the key, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Yes, because it doesn't mean failure. Let's get out of that mindset. It's not failure. Yeah. Let's acknowledge it. Let's let's welcome it and let's appreciate it and give people slack if they're doing it. And that we're not being disingenuous or lying to the person either when we're no. engaged in code switching, yeah. right? When I am chatting with my friends who play Dungeons and Dragons with me, the fact that I'm not talking about my new atheism is not disingenuous. It's just yeah. I know they're not interested in that. We have common yeah. interests outside, right? Yeah. It's an act of love. You know, you yeah. only do that to be with people you want to be with. It's an act of love. Treat it as such. It's creating common ground, of yes. course. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, but the the episode I really, really want to talk about is a few <laughs> episodes before. And yep. from the very beginning of that episode, you were like, I'm really nervous, guys, because I listened to it again this week. So I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous, guy. I'm I'm quite nervous about what I'm talking about. You know, I'm, I'm nervous. We got halfway through and say, I know you're fucking nervous. No, just get it on. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yep. Um. So they genuinely didn't know what was coming. They had oh. no clues. They didn't know you'd been deconstructing in the background. You were. They did, in a sense. So uh, we're referring to, uh, I believe, episode 141. 
I'm an atheist now, AMA is what we cleverly titled the thing. So we had an experience of just like scheduling conflict that we ended up like leading up to that episode. We had to kind of pepper in some rebroadcasts. We had done so much preparation to be able to like fill out the schedule for that so that we could remain a weekly show that when that episode was published, that episode was recorded about three months prior. Right. Um, yeah. So we had had a number of episodes leading up to that where I was feeling a personal shift in my thinking. I had come to a place that I would, uh, I, you know, I, I would firmly would have firmly called myself a progressive Christian at that point. I was beginning to study, say, Alfred or uh, yeah, Alfred North Whitehead um, and what, what's called process theology, open relational theology. I would have self-described as a Christian universalist, having completely rejected the idea of hell that's baked into right. uh, the Calvinism I was raised in. Even further, like even discuss- discussion of like hell being annihilationism yeah. or anything like that. I had rejected that and was kind of in a very open place to kind of religious plurality, uh, exploring the Buddhists and exploring like Hindu expressions of faith and mm-hmm feeling quite comfortable with that actually and the more comfortable i started feeling with those concepts i was really beginning to doubt some of the things that were so intertwined in my upbringing and with the way i was stuck thinking about christianity in terms of what i was raised on which is a personal confession in jesus christ is your savior because you are a sinner and a personal relationship with Jesus through prayer, through scripture reading, through church engagement, through uh, community engagement. There were so many questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I kept coming to a place of, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. For Because for as many things as I experienced as uh, uh, peak religious experiences, let's say engaged in worship music, Uh, I guess that's a bit of context that I haven't shared yet, is I led worship music at our church since I was in middle school, uh, through high school, and even when I started college here, I was was on staff at a church at one point as a worship leader, playing guitar, singing, doing a lot of public things up on stage, professing my faith, professing like the connection I had with Jesus and trying to model that to inspire other people to do that. If we're being honest, there's a word that we could, you know, we could call that manipulation because we're using music to inspire emotion. Again, that's another one of those things where I'm like, to call it manipulation feels like I'm implying bad. Mm. I'm just calling it what it is. And I'm using a chord progression that is known to make people somber or melancholy or reflective versus I'm using a drum beat that is designed to make people happy and excited and want to dance, right? Yeah. So for as many things as I've experienced as peak religious experiences, having moments like broken down in prayer or taking communion and feeling at one with everyone around me in that moment or singing in a choir, for as many experiences that were propped up to me as this is only available in the religious setting, I've been able to recreate outside of the religious setting for the same oceanic feeling of melding into a crowd and enjoying a set of music. What I used to think was only available at church, I have since learned is available at my favorite 
heavy metal concerts. And for whatever uh, intellectual satisfaction I get from reading deep, deep theology, I can also get out of reading well-thought, critiquing philosophy, right? So for, for things that I thought were exclusive to Christianity, I was beginning to learn that not that's not the case. And that exclusivity being broken down made me realize that I don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus uh, because I thought that was exclusive to like the experience I was having. Even in prayer, sometimes we get that feeling of like goosebumps washing over us starting at the scalp, right? Yeah. I've recreated that in mindfulness meditation. I have since learned that that can directly attribute that to the vagus nerve in the brain. (laughs) And that inspires that feeling of awe. So we have scientific language for that. We have secular language for what that is. Mm -hmm. I used to think that that was literally the Holy Spirit washing over me. And an encounter I was having was something outside of myself that was blessing me with its presence. Um, And for anyone that stays in that context, I'm not interested in taking that away either. But to be honest with myself, leading up to this episode that you're hearkening to, I was just beginning to have so many questions and like, what is it, what did it mean that we were talking about? Like there's a God shaped hole in our hearts. What did it mean that, uh, you know, CS Lewis talks about like the reason we desire heaven or something like that is because we must know it exists and that we're alienated from it. I know. I just don't understand that reason line of reasoning. Uh, Neither do I, neither do I. I think he wrote some fantastic novels. He's not my favorite theologian and he's, I don't think he's a very good philosopher. I tried reading mere Christianity as a Christian and didn't make it to the end of chapter one. Circular. It's all circular. So many people praise that book and well-known people and people who I respect and admired as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And as a Christian, I couldn't get through it. Mm-hmm. I, I really couldn't. And I wouldn't even bother trying now mm-hmm. unless mm-hmm. I wanted to do some really real scathing critique of it. Yeah. But so for that sense of C.S. Lewis saying, like, the reason we must desire something more is because we know either we deserve it or that it exists and that we've been alienated from it and you know whether that be a literal adam and eve ate a fruit they weren't supposed to or humanity just woke up and we had consciousness and that changes the game right that's the knowledge of good and evil if we want to talk about it in those terms you know if if we want to do work around the lack we feel i could also read lacan (laughs) so discovering alternatives discovering the non-exclusivity of so many experiences that i thought i was having and really coming to a conclusion of it was a helpful scaffolding for my life until it wasn't. It was yeah. helpful to consider that the Holy Spirit visiting me with goosebumps, or it was helpful to think that there's a Jesus out there somewhere that's listening to me pour out my grief or my anger or my my even my joy, right? The feeling of being listened to that is a gift that comes from prayer is huge. Yeah, uh, I get but, that. Yeah. But I'm listened to when I have an equally deep conversation with my wife or with my therapist. Right. So like, yes. once again, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, th- this wasn't exclusive. This was just, this just happened to be the scaffolding that, that yeah. it was all built around. Right. And then I started participating in a program that Peter Rollins hosts called Atheism for Lent. 
yes <laughs> you meant you mentioned that i'm really intrigued by that i may yeah. look it up because i yeah. i was never really one for doing stuff at length anyway mm. you know people there were all there was always a group of people in the church that i went to that were always really up for doing it and um yeah at the risk of sounding misogynistic it was usually the ladies that wanted to give it a go men seemed to be a lot more blasé about it and, and I was usually definitely it was something... one of those men yeah, and usually it was something innocuous about like I'm giving up chocolate for I know. days or, or like <laughs> alcohol, no chance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. exactly. Which I mean, there's something again, there's something to be said for voluntary abstinence yeah. of anything, even for yeah, a period. I agree that. We we've um, done dry January. Yeah, yeah, it's because sometimes, especially over the Christmas period, sometimes that whole oh it's Thursday, yeah we can start drinking now it's the weekend so. You, you have a beer after the meal at home or a beer with the meal and then another one in the evening. And then suddenly you find that you're starting on Wednesday because it's halfway yeah. through the week. And then suddenly you realize you're having a beer with your meal every single day of the week. You go, you know what? Just stopping that down and stopping the spend just yeah. for a little bit right. of time is actually quite helpful. Yeah. Just cut that out because if you let it go, you'll be on to two with your meal. Mm-hmm. every night you know and the, then the costs go up and the habit goes wrong so yeah there's a very real practicality it doesn't have to be spiritual mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly um yeah so i i started participating in atheism for lent which is cleverly billed as what if you go without god for lent and yeah. then see what easter is going to be like for you if you want to return to that so yes yeah, so um, can i unpack that a little bit because yeah of course for a Christian, that very that idea of not godding for a period of time has got to be an anathena, surely. That has got to be the lowest form of things that you could possibly do. That has got to be counter everything. That's got to be even arguably unbiblical. You know, mm-hmm. Of course, you deconstructed and deconverted if you're going to do such offensive things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, again, I, I've gotten that reaction from a handful of social media <laughs> direct messages as well. I, I was curious to participate in the program because I had heard about it for a couple of years. Josh, my co-host, he had actually participated in it years ago when it first started and it didn't deconvert him. Uh, he went through the program and and it really is a very thoughtful way of approaching epistemology, ontology, mm-hmm. what we know, how we know it uh, kind of ideas. So like that's where that's where the program was rooted. And then what he would do, he would spend a week of Lent going on critiques of Christianity. And then he would spend the next week on critiques of those critiques of Christianity. And then he would spend the next week on critiques of those critiques of those critiques. So like it was a very thoughtful way of kind of pointing out how many fractal directions we can go. Once once you just start from a place of philosophy, like the, the knowing of what you know. So fascinating program to experiment with. That's really what I went into it with an attitude of, uh, I, I felt like it was an experiment that I was ready for. And really my, to be honest, just like my curiosity was peaked yeah. and I, I just wanted to know, like, I've heard of this for years. I want to know what this is about. It introduced me to so many new thoughts, so many new ideas. And unfortunately for the Christians introduced me to the work of 
Ludwig Feuerbach, who ends up being a, a tremendous influence on Karl Marx um, in his work. But Feuerbach's reflection in particular, this is this is what I allude to in the in the podcast, uh, the Ravel podcast we're referencing is Feuerbach in his book, The Essence of Christianity, does work to show that at the core of it, the work we do in theology is really anthropology. That's the quippy way of saying that. But he points out, does, has many a convincing argument that what we hold to as whatever God you think is out there or you want to hold to is ultimately a projection of yourself and mm. or the projection of humanity onto something that they needed to be objectively other than themselves to have either the best parts of themselves or the worst parts of themselves reflected back from something they experienced as capital O other. So this work of God as projection struck me at the exact right time because again, I'll remind you like the questions I was having was like, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? I'm finding the non-exclusivity of religious experience in things that are quote unquote secular, going to the heavy metal show that provides me oceanic oneness, the feelings of awe that I have looking at nature or like enjoying time with my dogs, right? And the vagus nerve activates and I have those same goosebumps that I thought were the Holy Spirit. That provided me a new framework and a new way of looking at things. Pardon the pun because we're talking about visuals and projection and mirrors and all that. <laughs> but um, that inspired so many new thoughts in me of, well, first of all, I was feeling incredibly grateful that I had come to a place in my Christian structure of my life that I was coming to, you know, if you want to call them labels, I was coming to places where the labels I had, I truly felt like were representative of like the best parts of me and the best parts of humanity, whether that be universalism in the sense of like our eternity is spent reunited and at one and like reconciled together. No one goes to hell. And there, there's something about the work that like knits us all back together. Mm-hmm. I think that represents the best yeah. aspects of call it humanism, right? Like, yeah. To, to actually have a global consciousness and understand that we as an organism called humanity have a responsibility to care for the place we live and to like participate as one and not get into these stupid little squabbles of American Democrats versus Republicans or uh, Americans versus Russians or, yeah. or anything like that. Like, can we not actually get beyond the fact that we are one organism participating in this thing? And so that idea of Christian universalism I, I was experiencing as a projection of like the best of us, right? But then I saw how Christianity can absolutely represent the worst of us, the worst of our humanity. And I had an emotional reaction against the Calvinism I was raised with when I was introduced, introduced to this idea. As So you were once saved, always saved. Was that part of your Calvinism? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But for all the the worst parts of ourselves we can also find projected into certain flavors of Christianity as well. The hateful God who actually desires to separate more than unite. The God who rejoices in the eternal conscious torment of things he created that 
just never prayed the right prayer or never felt penitent enough and uh, were never convinced of their worminess or their total depravity enough to recognize that they needed the savior, mm. right? Like the worst of humanity is also projected into religion. This was one of those moments where I was like, man, I was taught to fear these philosophers. And I'm wondering if I was taught to fear them because there's some bit of it that we all actually think is right. We just don't want to be honest about it, you know, kind of flipped it all upside down for me. Yes, my I've had experience with very of talking with various stripes of Christians over the years. And without a shadow of a doubt, the Calvinist streak is the most frustrating Christian for me to talk to. They are the hardest for me to be nice to because of the way that they project their Christianity and their Christianity is so rigidly framed, they can't not project onto me what they think I'm trying to say. No matter how many times I say that's not what I'm saying and try to gently correct, it comes back and go, no, that's not, I've already told you this. And is I, I and depending on what mood I'm on, I'm in, I'll either just be nice to them (laughs) or I'll just give them the digital equivalent of the bird and tell them to to fling it because I just can't be bothered. Well, so. So you unpacked all of that. There's a lot of there's a lot of pigeonholing that us Calvinists can do. I had literal printed materials at one point that basically said, if you get them to admit that, like, admit this premise then then you're basically setting it up to knock it down in such a total fashion that they'll see how Jesus Christ is actually the correct answer. So like they, we, because I like speaking in we language, especially around Calvinists is a personal challenge of mine to recognize like where I came from, even though I don't identify as Christian at all. We had these materials, we had these trainings that were essentially a one for one knockdown system of if you can get them to agree with this premise then here's the answer for it so we want to put anyone like that in as small a box as possible yeah because those those box you know those bugs are easy easier to squash yeah you control (laughs) the conversation more easily yeah 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 exactly whereas having a more open-handed approach uh curiosity driven rather than agenda driven um that comes with that kind of evangelical energy quite literally just like the evangelism energy that we were told to have i admit that we can be quite frustrating in that uh much like my biology teacher i'm sure you wouldn't have liked me it's very gracious of you to use we in in all of that to given your current thing so you're on this live inverted commas live because we know it's a podcast but you're recording it live even if you edit it later to make it sound better. What, who cares? <laughs> so you're, you're talking to these lovely, wonderful co-hosts of yours, people mm-hmm. you clearly love and admire greatly. And you come out with this in a live recorded situation. And you know what? It was anticlimactic. Wasn't it, though? I completely agree. <laughs> you know, the world didn't end. I got to the end of the episode and I was like, Marvin, I was like, where's the kaboom? There was supposed, supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. And it was like, yeah, you're cool. We love you. You're all right, really. Yeah. 
yeah. that was it. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. What were you nervous about? Boy, I, what I was nervous of, I, I became more aware of it weeks and weeks after. Yeah. Um, because it was about, it was when the episode was going live really was what I was nervous about. I think there is something inside, again, this, this medium of podcasting, there's a one to many effect of like, you and I are having a conversation right now that no one else is privy to, but I, you know, I don't know what your listenership is like. Well, a million people are going to listen to this. You know, you I get to <laughs> I get to be introduced to many, many people in the future when this episode is ready to drop. And be about 103, our, 104, something like that. So October, great. tail end of October, probably. Fantastic. Uh, oh yeah, after peaking 100. Congrats, by the way. <laughs> up toward 100. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, what I became mindful of weeks and weeks after that was knowing that I would be in safe hands with Josh and Emily was not that that turns out that's not what I was worried about. I didn't think they were going to like all of a sudden, like completely change who they were fundamentally. You're and a Christian podcast, a so it's a Christian audience. Exactly. And yeah. it's a Christian audience that given our scale and given our listenership, I have quite a few people who I have personal relationships with. Yeah. who listen to my podcast, who I grew up with in these same youth group and who I grew up with being taught yeah. these Calvinist things. And we're all in different places. Some of us go to that same church. Some of us have also left Christianity. Some yeah. of us are at different stages of our own raveling journey. But what I was nervous about ultimately was that my mother listens to my podcast and yeah. I hadn't told her that yet. It came to a head for me uh feeling like i was about to really destroy a bit of the spiritual code switching that i had been doing with my family over the past months leading up to it and feeling like i was going to grieve especially my mom because of our relationship me being homeschooled me being her firstborn Mm -hmm. and uh, having this internal, this was never put on me by my parents, but this internal feeling of like, I need to be good as a reflection on my parents, right? There was a just a bit of fear and unknown as if she would interpret that as a negative reflection on all the very hard work she did early on in my life to homeschool me and all the work that uh, she participated in as I started getting involved in music in the church she was quite literally my ride to rehearsals once a week and to church two times a week. So we spent a lot of time connecting on the faith we shared and uh, like me being quite literally raised by her in the faith we shared. That's ultimately where the, the fear was born. And to be honest, Matthew, it was a wildly anticlimactic experience to call her a couple days before that episode went live and say, Hey, I had a revelation about myself and I wanted you to know about it before it goes public on the podcast. And I told her that I don't consider myself a Christian anymore. And once again, in the most anticlimactic way possible, she was like, okay, I love you. Do you think (laughs) she suspected already? Um, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure, but it was, boy, I like for as much uh, 
for as much as we like to amplify, right, the bad DMs we get about pa- female Pastor Emily or or the folks who want to be mean on social media for the sake of being a troll or something like that, I think, to keep the theme going, I think I was projecting a bit of that energy and a bit of that tone and that uh, thought process onto the people closest to me, and that's where all my nervousness came from. That's where all my fear came from, was really against really like a a history of being accepted and loved and connected um there's something about me that was trained to say this really is kind of like the final test of like am i going to belong with these people anymore um yeah because we were raised to think this is truly the only thing that we can belong together doing Mm. right i feel you i I'm guessing you and your mum were close. I was very close to my mum. I'm the eldest of three sons. I remember some of the trauma of my parents' separation that my younger brothers don't. So I've got memories that that they don't have. And unrelatedly, my deconstruction coincided with my mum's diagnosis with and then then declining from pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. So, and if anyone's familiar with that atrocious cancer, it's not pleasant to watch somebody you dearly love go Mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to clarify in case it's going to anyone's mind, it did not cause my deconversion. Please don't put me in that box. It was a coincidental actor. But my mum already knew that my two brothers had effectively given up on Christianity, even if they weren't, even if they might have technically said they were Christians, they'd given up living a Christian life cycle style, whereas I did. Mm-hmm. And I talked to it with my youngest brother quite a lot because he and I are close. And so we talked a lot and he was the one who knew before it was a done deal that I was going through all of this. Mm-hmm. And we talked about mum and I made the very real unconscious decision not to come clean to my mum and just let her die without that knowledge because mm. I knew it would hurt her mm. and I couldn't do that. Yeah. I knew it wouldn't change how she loved me. That that was never a different that was never part of the, the concern. It was why cause existential hurt unnecessarily? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where where do I benefit? Where does anyone benefit? You know, I, I'm there to be a loving son in these last few days let's extract as much goodness from that as i can and that conversation does not need to be part of that Mm -hmm. Um, but as you can see from on this video which the listeners will not get to see it's something that still tingles me yeah but yeah what a what a precious example though of how that spiritual code switching can actually serve good and love right very well done sir very well done yes i hadn't actually appreciated that you yeah uh, causing that kind of existential pain for someone who who had something that created common ground between you there was no reason to pull that rug out from under someone who was already going through i'm sure so many internal questions right yeah Um, and if that can continue to serve as a bomb or as a as a, a soothing agent right um yeah completely unnecessary i think wow thank you for sharing that story that was a uh, that impacted me a lot oh um, thank you 
I, uh, that, wow, that makes me really grateful for my mother. I should call her after this. Wow. You do that, sir. You do that. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, like the, the overwhelming, it sounds, uh, cheap, but the overwhelming okayness that my family has had and that my like close friends mm-hmm. have had with it, just like you said, as far as like making an entertaining podcast goes pretty un like anticlimactic, but yeah. For being a human being who wants to maintain belonging with people that I have established relationships with, uh, truly, I got the best outcome. I wasn't like yes. excommunicated from family. I, I had already gone through the process of basically leaving my old church, not on the greatest of terms, um, but those were for unrelated issues. And now it was uh, now it was just a time of experiencing even a recontextualization of my relationship with my last church. Um, what what kind of spurred it on was my wife uh, uh, wanting to participate in uh, worship music at that church again after we had taken a year or two hiatus. But in that hiatus, she made the choice to come out as a member of the LGBTQ community and then reapproaching the church saying like, hey, hey, I know I've taken a break, but like, do you mind if I start playing piano again? She's a wonderfully talented musician and artist, so she just wanted to contribute again and uh, you know help out quite literally because that's that's where uh, you know that's how she shows up in the world. They said no, we can't allow you to do that because you're unrepentantly out, and we can't be interpreted as endorsing the LGBTQ community or lifestyle in our church. Um, And that was that. It recontextualized so much of the, like the five years we had spent at that church saying like, so we were just useful and you didn't actually feel like you were connecting with us like on a human level. Like we want to yeah. give our volunteer time back and actually continue to contribute after a hard couple of years. And now now you're telling me that all of that didn't really mean much because now we don't perfectly align with the belief statement and uh and the church is too cowardly to actually say to say either way no we don't affirm lgbtq or we do they just wanted to continue to live in the gray space and that was so incredibly frustrating uh we both kind of just threw up our hands you know biblical reference we uh we flung the dust from our sandals and walked out right and this is again where Feuerbach's work really impacted me is that their God as a projection of themselves. God is not telling them to reject LGBTQ family. That's their insecurity projected onto a God who they need to tell them that, right? That, that That's their fear of not understanding that they project onto a God that says, these folks have no belonging yep. here because that is a sinful lifestyle, right? Seeing it in that frame, at once filled me with another bit of white hot anger under the collar Mm. but at the same time it almost gives me a new context for what grace means in the world post christian or post religion is understanding that they're in a place and they have work to do for sure and i i I want to hold them accountable to that and how much harm they caused uh, you know psychologically and emotionally to both me and mine but it gives me a new context for grace to understand like they're in a place, they're doing their own work, and I can leave them 
the space to do that. And I, I, I'm, I'm still a person who wants to show up in the world as a person who fronts love and gives it away for free. Uh, it's just that sometimes it's quite possible and we need to recognize that you can offer love from a distance to keep yourself safe as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'd like, like to hang there, but just to reiterate something for the listeners, we've talked about the anticlimax process. You know, let's remind our listeners that deconstruction, potential deconversion, actual deconversion, they can be and usually are tremendously scary processes to go through. There's so much unknown, lots of fear. Often that fear comes from the Christianity that we're brought up in. There's and the attrition rate of marriages specifically is extraordinarily high in when only one member of the marriage is going through this kind of thing. That was a massive feature in my own deconversion which is why I kept quiet about it for so long. It is massively traumatic often. So when the response to it is anticlimactic, that's a good thing. We, we yeah. need to embrace that. That is what we all want. We all want anticlimactic at the end of that because it reaffirms us with those relationship bonds mm -hmm. that we've got. If, if it creates a whirlwind, that immediately adds to the unsettlingness in which we, we find ourselves and can just massively accelerate any burgeoning trauma that we're going through at that point of time. Yeah. So if you know somebody who's going through that, anticlimactic is good. Hug, I love you, let's go have a beer. That's the only right response. Yeah, of course. Yeah, continue to create space at the table is how yes. my friend Emily would say. That's very, very good. So how much of this did your wife know about before you made the big announcement? Was she there with you on the journey? I, I had downloaded with her probably a month before I actually recorded the episode with Josh and Emily. And actually, to be honest, like in, in our entire relationship, we got married very young. By the way, I was 20. She was 22. Um, and yeah, we, close. We, I was 24, yeah. my wife 21. So, yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. yeah. And, and, and at the time, we were embedded in that closeted American Baptist Calvinist church. Um, so like that's that's where we formed our relationship. And uh, we had gone through so many evolutions together, right? Like I remember early on in our marriage of eight years at this point, like we had a, our first legitimate fight was about how we load the dishwasher. Our second legitimate fight was when I told her that I don't think that Noah is a real was a real person and that I think he was a fictional character uh, in the Old Testament. And this was still at a point where I would firmly call myself a Christian. I was just saying, like, I think I have new context for how mythology serves the origin of the Jewish faith and the other Abrahamic faiths, right? So um, that was our second fight was she was like, what do you mean Noah wasn't a real person? Like we had the flood and we had the ark. So very often in our relationship, I was usually kind of like one or two steps ahead in my deconstruction or question asking, raveling. But to be honest, she actually beat me to atheism by almost a year. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think it's I, lovely when a couple can manage to navigate that simultaneously. Oh, yeah. What what a gift. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the only way we've experienced it. And I had come to a place where I didn't find that threatening at all. So when she told me, like, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I think once again, it was anticlimactic in the sense of like, I had been led to a place of Christian universalism, process theology, all these kind of things where I had an open hand to say like, okay, there's room for you, there's room for us, like, 
um, I think our relationship is built on something different now than where we started in religion. So I think we're okay, actually. So she beat me there. And then when it was time for me to have these realizations, I was reading this, uh, this passage of Feuerbach during Atheism for Lent in bed on my iPad. And I turned to her and I said, I think I just realized I'm not Christian anymore. And she goes, what's well, about fucking time? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. You know what? There are countless men that I can probably list who are so jealous of that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be I'll be one of them. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Like that was. I, like I had no fear to come to her with that and to, to be injected with a, a sense of levity. And she was just like, finally, thank you. Um, yeah. Now we actually have more in common. It was actually very special between the two of us. Yeah. Right. So we're running towards the end now. I've had a, I did put up a brief comment on Facebook and I've just had a question come in to ask mm. to you. Sure. It's an open ended question. What is a Christian? surprisingly hard to answer isn't it yeah yeah what is a christian i would have an i would have a completely different answer uh a couple months ago i you know and i have a different answer based on what i was raised with but right now i think i really want to say that to be a christian is to kind of take the original language from the way the romans were calling christians christians to say a little christ to say I, I, I think it's actually a C.S. Lewis image that we as Christians are supposed to be the moon to God's sun, that we're supposed to be a reflection of the light of God into the world, right? Um, even in, in the darkest night kind of idea. Now, what I mean by to be a little Christ is completely different now that I have a sense of Christ is the an animating force that inspires us to be our best selves and to love with a capital L. Christ is what knits all this together. Christ is the uh, the forces of physics that keep atoms together, that keeps planets together. Um, it's kind of like the consciousness we swim in, right? So uh, to continue to reflect all of that, I think to be a Christian is to be a person that is readily identifiable by the fruit in their lives and the actions that remind people that love is possible and love is a choice and that love is actually what keeps us keeps all of this going. Uh, there, there are physical forces of entropy that pull us apart. There are relational forces that pull us apart. Tribalism, sexism, xenophobia, all these things that pull us apart. And to continue to be a person who projects love into the world, to continue to be the thing that keeps all of it together, from the atoms to planets, to be a Christian is to be a person who creates space and inspires the people around you and inspires yourself a little bit there there has to be a little bit of like self-affirmation in there that it it is all worth it it is good and it always has been and that's still a fundamental belief of mine and that we actually have a part to play in that it's a very existentialist answer in a sense of yeah. realizing that i don't we don't have a god crutch that we need to hold this together it's actually our responsibility so you know get to work be a yeah, person. Yeah. I'm I would probably go slopey shouldered on that question and say it's not my job to define it but having said that <laughs> that's probably a better answer yeah 
there you go. You, you're still a new atheist. You'll learn these tricks one day. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's that's a little bit of my like most recent flavor of Christianity coming out. Yeah, for sure. I'm certainly prepared to accept someone's word on it if they say they're Christian. But if you were to force me into a corner, I would just look for affirmation of Jesus as a son of God. And uh, I would probably not need to go any further than that. Yeah. I'm not interested in boiling down different types of theology. That's for the Christians to argue over. I'm just not interested in playing that game. Yeah, right. But yeah, you, affirmation of Jesus as the Son of God. I think usually like uh, a, a dogmatic approach to the death as propitiation for sins and resurrection that conquers death kind of things. Like there are quite a few like core beliefs about Christianity that I think most Christians would say you yes. have to affirm in order to be a Christian, which is why I personally made the choice to say I'm not that anymore because, A, I can't yeah. confirm, I, I can't affirm those theologies, yeah. but B, I'm tired of doing all the spiritual code switching to say like, no, I'm a Christian, but not that kind of Christian. Like, <laughs> yeah. If we can approach the conversation differently, or if it makes it easier for someone as a Christian to approach mm -hmm. me knowing that I wear the big banner of like atheists on my head and that makes our conversation better. Mm. I'd rather have that than try to do all the dancing around like, no, I'm a Christian, but like, I actually probably don't agree with most of the things you want me to agree on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, you know what? We're drawing towards an end. I feel I'm in that classic perfect point where I definitely want more and there's more conversation I want to have and not enough time to have it, which is probably the best way to end this kind of conversation. I hope the listeners feel the same. Maybe that will produce an opportunity to have a repeat or have a follow on or a part two, however that goes. Your future with Revel, yeah. is it assured? How is it oh, going to yeah. go? Is there going to be a change in the format on the structure? Are we going to notice a difference? Ravel keeps going. My friend Josh is oftenly, most often the one who actually comments on the fact that I'm not Christian anymore. I hardly bring it up. I just continue to have conversations like I always have. Yeah, this this project will go on as long as we all feel like it's something we can give time to, and these are conversations worth having. Right now, we're all, all three of us are 100% committed to Good. like th this is life giving work, and and we love doing it. And to be honest, it's kind of selfish. We like spending time together, and this is a really good way to carve that time into our calendars. And also, uh, from the beginning, it has been a bit of a self-serving project as well. I get to now listen to over 150 episodes of the show that kind of, in a way, journals my entire deconstruction from beginning to end now, right? Like, it represents, like, a bit of audio history kind of, like, etched into etched into the podcast of stone right and uh so it, it's self-serving in the fact that it is kind of like our own project like we've never really built it around trying to invite the guests on that would get more followers on instagram so that we get more listens so that we can sell ads or whatever right like we do it because we love having these conversations and we always just want to keep the conversation going so absolutely i echo that i am um arrogant and prideful enough that I think that people want to listen to me having these kinds yeah. of conversations. But it has also given me opportunity to have lovely conversations with great people who I didn't think I would have conversations with. Mm -hmm. you know, I've got 
authors of books here in front of me. Philip Goff, Justin Briley, you listened to. Uh, Bart Ehrman was an episode uh, recently. Yeah. And Joshua Somadas. You know, I mm-hmm. didn't expect I would have a conversation with him. I had a lovely conversation with uh, uh, Joshua Somadas and about his book. I got a free copy of his book off the back yeah. of it as well. Right. You know, what's not to love? You know, <laughs> the, the, this is great. So final question then of this uh conversation and thank you so much for the time Stephen I've genuinely really enjoyed this conversation I knew we were going to have a good conversation yeah thank Thank you you for 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 fulfilling that for me listeners hop over to Ravel Pod listen to Stephen and his friends uh, Josh and Emily genuinely I love their podcast genuinely if you like the kind of conversations that they have you'll absolutely love that very quick plug for a british podcast that's almost like yours it's called beer christianity they start their episodes with what beer are you drinking but it's british accents wow who'd have thought (laughs) so give that one a try as well maybe you'll like that one too have fun with that one have a wonderful conversation with your mother when we end up hanging up but before you go do you have a favorite bible character and who are they I do. I thought about this a lot. I love that you closed with this question. I have to claim as my favorite biblical character, the father in Luke 15, that is uh, the patriarch of the family of the prodigal sons. Um, Oh, dudes. Within the parable. Um, Yes. The father to me represents the, the projection of the best of us onto a father figure, onto a God figure, a father who's willing to accept a young, angsty, resentful son who says in fewer words, but basically, I wish you were dead now so I could get my money from my inheritance and leave with it. The father who says like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like you're going to make mistakes and I'm, I I don't feel like I'm going to dissuade you. So I'm just going to give you what would be owed to you and let you experience and gain the wisdom you need apart from me, even though I wish you would stay behind and, gain that wisdom through being with me the father who with abandon runs and meets that son uh, upon his return journey leaving the threshold of his own house going out into the wild to embrace him again to throw a party to give him the robes and to not accept the attrition or the uh it's it's an acceptance of the repentance of the young son but not in a sense of like let me just work as a servant let me like humiliate myself the father said like i'd rather i humiliate myself and throw you a party that i want to because like whatever what joy i'm experiencing is well worth it you don't need to debase yourself i'm here to say like you're good and you always have been now you just learn that lesson for yourself but this is also the same son who says to the older son who becomes resentful because the older son who i see a lot of myself in that story of saying like Hey, I was the one doing everything right. I was with you the whole yes. time. I was working those fields. Like, the curse I was of the eldest. I know. Correct. Well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing this this whole time, and now you throw my reckless, irresponsible yeah. brother a party for coming back after going on a bender. Yeah. Um, and that is the same father who says, like, I am always with you, and everything I have is yours. That, uh, that uh, that's just like the the. If Christianity was like that, I would still be one. Let's put yeah. it that way. If that was actually the animating force behind what we want to call Christianity, um, sign me up. Once again, I, I, you know, I'd reconvert if we started looking more like that. 
That is a beautiful honoring of a character that doesn't even get a name. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but it's called the prodigal son in most American Bibles or most English Bibles, yeah. at least. And we're always thinking about the young son who goes. But I love the recontextualization, calling it the parable of the prodigal sons, because they both have feelings of alienation. They just yeah. don't do it physically in the same way. Um, but yeah, but that that father who lays it all aside and is ready to say, like, I'm just the reuniting force that gets the family back together over a party. Yep. That's what I want. Yep. Brilliant. Thank you for that. We've had some good answers to that question, but this is definitely among my favorites. Oh, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you so much. And purely coincidentally, I was with my younger brother last weekend and we had a conversation about inheritances because my father gave him a our father gave him mm-hmm. a chunk of money to help him buy his house mm-hmm. and so we we're having that conversation my brother said to me apparently that chunk of money is going to be separate going to be subtracted from my share of the inheritance and I said well if I can't get around it I'm not going to give a crap you know when it comes <laughs> to giving up the money it's going to go equal ways between the sons you know dad's alive what he yeah. does with his money is his responsibility, you know, and if he right. wants to help you buy a house, well, that's his. What a gift. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I'm absolutely, I'm not in a position <laughs> to care. Of course. You know, so yeah. and, unless it's written in the word, I can't get around it. I'm just going to say split it equal ways. Right. What is, is, and we all have a, a seat yeah. at this table, right? Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Wonderful. Notice that subtle way in which I made myself much better than I really am. (laughs) (laughs) That's also an eldest son thing. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm going to drink to that. Thank you once again, Stephen. Wonderful having this uh, last couple of hours with you. All the best for the podcast. All the best to your fellow hosts over there in Ravel. Looking forward to listening to the next one dropping. Please do say hello to them. I'm sure they'll listen to this. So hello to them myself anyway. And until next time, listeners, be reasonable. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. You have been listening to a podcast from Reason Press. Do you have any thoughts on what you've just heard? Do you have a topic that you would like us to cover? Please send all feedback to reasonpress at gmail.com. You might even appear on an episode. Our theme music was written for us by Holly. To hear more of her music, see the links in our show notes. Thank you.